0: Uh, Father God, um, thank you that you have spoken. You're a God who speaks. Um, thank you that the only way c- that we could know you is if you um, revealed yourself to us. Thank you for your precious word, um, the scriptures through which you reveal who you are and all that you have done for us in, uh, in saving us. Um, thank you for that it points to Jesus, all of it, and uh, we just pray today uh, that you, the truths of um, this part of your word Um, that you would apply to our lives by your spirit, um, work them deeply into us and change us by them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: So reading from John, chapter 21, verses 15 to 25. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written.
0: Our Father, we thank you that you've given us these words for life and we just pray for your spirit to help us to understand and to to apply them to ourselves Uh, lord be with us as we study your word in jesus name amen okay how i learned to mind my own business i was walking past a school the other day and all the students were yelling 13 13 13 but the fence was too high to look over so I, I went a bit closer and I saw there was a hole in, in, in one of the fence palings. So I had to look through to see what was going on. And some low-down so-and-so student poked me in the eye with a stick. And then they all started shouting, 14, 14, 14, <clears throat> 14. That didn't actually happen. Well, the expression mind your own business uh, is not just a rude appeal to privacy. It's good advice for life too, and it goes all the way back to Plato. I don't think he used those exact words, but that idea. Don't concern yourself with the details of other people's lives. Don't meddle in their affairs. Don't take on your shoulders the responsibilities that belong to others. Just make sure you attend to your own responsibilities. So as we've just, uh, as we heard earlier today, this sermon series from John's Gospel draws to a close, having begun three and a half years ago. Two weeks ago, we, we looked at the first half of this final chapter, and I suggested it was like an epilogue for the whole Gospel. The big drama has happened. Jesus, who had come to bring life, handed over his own life And then was raised to life, fulfilling everything that had been said about him and that he said. And way back in John 3.16, we know this verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But this epilogue ties up some very important loose ends. Jesus appeared to the disciples for a third time through a miraculous and through a miraculous catch of fish that he orchestrates, reminds them that he has perfect, de- perfect knowledge of the details of their lives and that their life and ministry of fishing for people would need to be totally dependent on him even after he goes. And he would be drawing them out of the darkness and chaos of their earthly life towards the big breakfast on the beach, the feast of the heavenly life. And so we need to depend on Jesus' provision and look forward to being with him. Well, in this final passage, we see that there is some unfinished business for Peter in particular. And it's one of those difficult conversations that that just has to be had. Of course, when that conversation is done and dusted, Peter starts to wonder, well, what about this other member of the group? And does Jesus have anything to say to that other member of the group? And Jesus effectively says to Peter, mind your own business. So we're going to take the hint from Jesus today. And as we think about Peter, I want to invite each of you to be considering your own business with God. Are you personally following Jesus? Is that a decision that you have made and that you own? Perhaps you have unfinished business with him. Today's sermon is entitled Processing Christ's Call And Christ's call here has three parts. Firstly, a call to stand in grace. Secondly, a call to persevere in suffering. And thirdly, a call to follow without distraction. So, part one, a call to stand in grace. And we're looking here at verses 15 to 17. The breakfast on the beach is now finished. And Jesus has a question for Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, first thing I notice is that Jesus doesn't even call him Peter. He calls him Simon. Back in chapter 1, Jesus had given Simon a new name. Peter, which means rock, strong, resilient, unbreakable. So why doesn't he use that name here? Well, we can't be sure, but one thing is for sure. Peter has been anything but a rock. Peter is carrying a burden of guilt over his failures on the night of Jesus' arrest. He had denied even knowing Jesus and had saved his skin. And so Jesus' question is very relevant and embarrassing for Peter. Do you love me? You know, you lied about even knowing me. Do you love me? Oop. It's one of those gulp kind of moments. In the question, Jesus also asks if Peter loves him more than the others do. And, he, and Jesus is not playing games here over who's the most loyal of his followers, as if the one who loves him the most will get to become the top dog. Nothing like that. Now I think Jesus is basically quoting Peter back at himself because it's it's probably, I think it's about six, no it's probably more, eight chapters earlier but it's only a few nights or maybe maybe a couple of weeks or something earlier. Peter had said back in chapter 13 verse 37, he said as Jesus was telling them that he was leaving, uh, Peter said, Lord why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. It's pretty triumphalist, isn't it? He's saying, Jesus, you will see how much I love you. And there's no we here, as if, you know, this band of followers together, we're going to all fall in behind you, Jesus. Peter's actually set himself apart from the other disciples. He's got a next level kind of loyalty and he wants Jesus to know about it. In Mark's gospel, in his account of this event, Peter spells it out like this. He says, even if all the others fall away, I will not fall away. So, Peter, let's get down to it. Do you love me more than these others do? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Jesus is making him deal with his failures face to face. You can't escape. Your sin was ghastly. You called yourself a follower of Jesus, but you didn't follow. You abandoned God's anointed king at the crucial moment, despite, apparently, your best intentions. Well, Peter is humbled. I think Peter is desperate to restore this relationship. And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Okay, so what does Jesus do now? I think the key thing here is what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, mate, you could have fooled me. He doesn't say, what were you thinking, you dill? He says, feed my lambs. Jesus makes him a shepherd, he gives him responsibility. He calls him to serve. But, you know, it tells us a lot about what this service is going to look like, doesn't it? Because Peter's serving of Christ will not be built on triumphant success, will it? Jesus is determined that that be the case. It won't be built on his gifted glory as a minister or shepherd, or on some perfect record of righteousness. His service would be based on Jesus' forgiveness of his failures interesting kind of responsibility isn't it you know please present your cv for christian service but you know don't don't boast about your successes please just boast about christ's generous second chances of course this is our news for the world isn't it this is our gospel that god gives us second chances and in fact that serving christ will only begin when you are forgiven by Christ, when you allow yourself to be forgiven by him. And if your serving of Christ ever moves beyond that, you know, or tr- or, you know, to become measured or validated by success, then your service is a ship without moorings. I used to run the Ministry of Music and Sound at Trinity in Adelaide, in the city, and one of the girls in the church was dating a non-Christian guy and he was a professional sound engineer and we were desperate for volunteers to run our sound system you know she she knew that it was kind of wasn't a great idea but you know I guess what she did as a to maybe to make up for it was she she insisted that uh, this non-Christian boyfriend come along to church every Sunday night and so he thought well if I'm going to be if I'm going to come to church I may as well be useful and so he came to me and he offered his services. And I, I was quite conflicted over this one. I had to think it through. Oh, golly. You know, we could really do with having... I mean, what a difference it would make to our, the sound of our music. But something about it just wasn't quite right. And so I, I talked to him about it. He ended up having absolutely no idea what I was talking about. Uh, because what I always said to him was, you know... What I, what I need in the church is for people to serve who come out of a, I guess, a thankfulness for their forgiveness, uh, not because they might be useful. He didn't get that. But do you get what I'm saying? Wherever you do serve Christ, do it as a forgiven person, not as a useful person. Well, verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Okay, yes, I will. thought I just told you that, but okay. The third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Interesting that Peter was hurt, wasn't it? Isn't it? It's kind of understandable, but I wonder if it shows us that he was still nurturing just a certain level of self-righteousness. But for Peter's three denials... Jesus requests three affirmations of love. He gives Peter three opportunities to express his love for him. Don't you find it interesting reflecting on this, that at the heart of this whole stumbling block that Peter has tripped over, at the heart of this issue is the question of love. What Jesus cares about here is Peter's love for him. It's the same with us. Who would have thought that God wants you to love him? After all, it will be love for Jesus that will need to drive Peter's shepherding of the flock. Jesus didn't say to Peter, feed your sheep. When you gather a bunch of them to follow you and build a big church... You know, look after your people. Look after your congregation, your church. Because if that was Jesus' goal, then maybe the question that he would have asked him wasn't Peter, do you love me? But Peter, are you really responsible? But no, Jesus entrusts Peter with his precious possession. His people, his church. And this denial of Jesus ultimately came because of a failure of love for Jesus, not some sort of breakdown of Peter's morality system, not that he just was irresponsible on the day. There was something lacking in his love for Jesus. Peter, you'll look after them because you love me. They're mine, and I care what you do with them. And so then, I guess, thinking about our service... If we don't love Jesus, if it doesn't come out of that awareness of forgiveness but also the love for Jesus, then what kind of serving do we think we're doing? Anyone who serves in the church must serve as a forgiven failure who loves Jesus, not as a gifted success seeking affirmation, seeking status or glory through a high-performance life, So there it is, part one, a call to stand in grace. And parts two and three will be a bit briefer than that. Part two, a call to persevere in suffering. And we're looking at verses 18 and 19 here. Jesus has more to share with Peter. He says, verse 18, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now, Christian tradition tells us that indeed Peter was crucified. Some people even suggest that he may have been crucified upside down because he saw himself as unworthy to be crucified the same way Jesus was. But, you know, when we, when we read these verses here from John, we realize that Peter gets a lot of time to think about this. 30 years, perhaps. What sort of impact do you think it would have made for him, for his service of Jesus, this knowledge that one day when he was an old man, he would suffer that gruesome execution that everybody feared? You realise that all of his speeches that you you read in Acts, all his missionary work, his letters that he wrote, his leadership of the church, first in Jerusalem and then in Rome, all of these things happened with Jesus' prediction hanging over his head. That makes me think of the opening verses of his epistle, 1 Peter. This is a summarised version, but he says, Peter and... a." Apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect who have been chosen to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Wow. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last days. They're powerful words when you think about what Jesus has told him. I think it's a safe bet that Jesus, that Peter lived his life with a driving hope in the resurrection from the dead a certainty of receiving an inheritance and a certainty of the safe protection of God, his shielding until that salvation is revealed. And so what about you? What difference do you think it would make to your life and your witness for Christ if you knew that one day you would face crucifixion? A promise of brutal suffering that would kill you. think about a parallel. What difference would it make to your life if you had an extremely rich auntie and uh, she had no other descendants except for you and when she died you would receive a billion dollars? That'd be nice wouldn't it? How would that affect you now and the way you live your life now? You know you probably still couldn't take out massive loans against your future inheritance because no bank's going to believe you Um, but you know, I've got this auntie, she's going to give me a billion dollars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um, that perhaps you would that sort of thing would let you sit a little less anxiously about your financial welfare, wouldn't it? You know, you could go on living and earning, but you'd know, you'd know that no matter how much you earned and how much you saved, it's more or less irrelevant because at some point you're going to be rolling in it. But hang on, you say, the, the, the question I asked was about... It was about something different. This example is the opposite of Peter's situation, right? Because he's expecting bad news in the future, right? Not good news. My reply is, "Did did you hear what he said in his epistle? He was praising God for his future inheritance. Kept in heaven. His new hope. The extraordinary thing about Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 1 is that he's focusing not on his crucifixion, the impending death and execution, but he's focusing on his resurrection. He goes on to say after those verses that trials prove the genuineness of our faith and that our faith is worth more than gold. So don't put your hopes in a billion-dollar, auntie. The faith that you have in your heart... The faith that you have in Jesus Christ is worth much more than that. No money comes near it, of course. Follow me, Jesus says to Peter. Follow me. Jesus' call is to persevere in suffering and even in the anticipation of suffering. Well, part three, a call to follow without distraction. This is the final verses from verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who'd leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? So I guess the big distraction for Peter is comparison. Now, you know he has just received pretty big news hasn't he like he's had this big confrontation with Jesus and then you know the prediction of his execution you know maybe this is a bit like a cancer diagnosis in a sense that it it, the sort of thing that throws you right but what's the first thing that Peter does you know he points to John and asks Jesus okay well what about him what's he getting mind your own business says Jesus literally what's it to you that's a challenge isn't it was John going to get a better deal you know do you worry about the prospect of others getting a better deal others getting an easier life does that slow you down sometimes and take your eyes off the prize Jesus also says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? And so a rumour has developed that John would remain alive until Jesus' return. And so the writer here, who is John himself, he identifies himself. So interesting, isn't it? He identifies himself not by name, but by his new identity. This new identity uh, that is the disciple whom Jesus loved. What a great way to think about himself. So, you know, he identifies, he seems to want to clarify some things here right at the end of his gospel. By the time he'd written this gospel, probably around the year 90, give or take a few years, we don't really know to be exactly sure, but late in the first century at least. By that point, Peter has already been executed. Probably sometime in the mid-60s under Nero's persecution of the Christians in Rome. John is still alive. He's a very old man, and he is writing his gospel. And this rumor that has developed has given the Christians of the day false hope. Can't be long now. John's looking pretty weary. Jesus must be just around the corner. The flip side of this is the problem. What if he dies? Will they lose their faith? If John dies, will they lose their confidence in Jesus' promises? You see, they're distracted too. Jesus said to Peter, follow me. It's the same to all Christians. It's a personal call to you. No matter what happens to you and no matter what happens to others, to entrust yourself entirely to Jesus and not be distracted, in this case, by times and dates. So John puts the unhelpful rumour to rest. Jesus never said, I wouldn't die. Well, what do you make of this? The, The passage is basically shaped around what Jesus' words are to Peter. Don't worry about him. You follow me. What do you make of that? When was the last time you compared yourself to other Christians? Perhaps you compare your level of struggle with others. Others just don't get it. My wife and I actually, we do struggle with this issue. In our household, we, we deal with a, a significant intellectual disability. We deal with a, a mental health concern. We deal with financial stress. We deal with uncertainty about the future. Our family finds it next to impossible to, to all come to church together. And people often say, you know, don't worry, it'll get easier when the kids grow up. And we find ourselves thinking, you know, you just don't get it. But we have to remember Jesus, don't we? We have to remember Jesus who says, Mark, Ali, mind your own business. Follow me. So what does your life look like at the moment? What does it look like to follow Christ in your present circumstances? Don't worry about others. Just follow Jesus and work out what that means for you. Well, to conclude, who is the real Jesus? He's the son sent by the father to bring eternal life To those who will believe in him and Jesus wants you to be his disciple to follow him you don't know what that path is going to look like though will you believe in him will you trust in him will you love him because he's calling you to life not just to a comfortable existence and a positive earthly purpose but he wants you to have much better than that he wants you to have life in his presence forever so let's follow him together let me lead us in prayer our lord god and father we know that we are constantly looking at your love when we look at the scriptures it's between the lines constantly and We also see, as we think about that, the shortcoming of our own love for you, even though Jesus told us that was what you wanted most from us, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. Our Father, we know that your spirit works in us. Um, Sometimes we resist, sometimes we're sluggish. We just pray for a constant reminder of your love for us and for the strength to love you perfectly to remember that it is only because of your grace that we stand here in the church, forgiven of our sin. Lord, help us to serve with that awareness and with love. Help us not to fear the future and help us not to compare with others, but to follow Jesus faithfully and to long for your presence. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.